Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Peringer. I want you to take your Bibles today and turn to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. I'll read beginning in verse 13 here in just a bit as we continue and actually finish today our study of Malachi and how we can break the chains of indifference. Because how can we be indifferent towards such a wonderful and loving God? You know, there's a famous poem by Robert Frost that is called The Road Not Taken. And this, this poem tells of a man who comes upon a fork in the road on this one autumn day. He regrets that he's not able to actually travel both roads and the fork He has to choose one or the other, and so he waffles back and forth on which road to take. And so he makes a choice, but at first he thought, well, you know, I'll make my choice, and then maybe later on in life I'll circle around and see what was down the other road. But then, you know, he acknowledged that, well, usually you take one road, and then that leads to another road, which leads to another road, and so it's very unlikely that he'll ever get the chance to see what was down that other road. And so he lives with the consequence of the choice that he made at this fork in the road. Because the choice that he made will make all the difference in his life. And as much as we could maybe spiritually simplify this to mean, you know, well, you know, everyone comes to this fork and they have a choice of whether to believe in Jesus Christ or not to believe in Jesus Christ, and that is very true. But I uh, believe, just because of the context of Malachi too, that we we look at this idea of the fork in the road, the the pool of candidates who come to this fork in the road is actually a little bit more narrow than that because I believe that those who claim a form of Christianity have come to this fork in the road because there is a road of following the true Jesus, and there is a road of following a false Jesus or making a false profession and going down the wrong road. Now Jesus himself, in a way, talked about such a choice and such a fork in the road. He said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, enter through the narrow gate Because the gate is wide and the way or the road is spacious that leads to destruction, and there are many that enter through it. But how narrow is the gate and difficult the way or the road that leads to life, and there are few who enter and find it. You you see that the audience that Jesus was talking to here, that's part of the Sermon on the Mount, the audience that he was talking to were religious people. They had religion. They claimed a faith in God. But they were, many of them were not following the right way. They entered the big, broad gate. Jesus said, you can make all the religious commotion you want, you can make all the religious claims that you want, but it's frivolous if you do not enter through the narrow gate and walk the difficult road of faith in him. You can claim a faith of some sort 
and still miss the mark. And that's where I think Christianity is today in the 21st century. There's a whole lot of people claiming a form of Christianity. But they have not entered the narrow gate. They are not going down the difficult road. And so those many who in the 21st century who are claiming Christianity, some are real and some are fake. And so we come to this fork in the road. The wide big gate or the narrow gate? The, the spacious road and way or the restricted difficult road or way? Because there are many who claim Jesus Christ. It is somewhat still a cultural fad to claim a version of Christ. But many who claim Christ have not truly believed. They haven't believed in the true Jesus of the Bible. Or they truly have not repented and believed in who Jesus is. Now sure, they can put on a good show. And sure, they can even fool other humans for a time. But know this, God knows those who are his. God knows who has truly believed. Those who have trusted in the sufficiency of Christ, God knows who they are. And so you have a choice of following that way. Or there's the other part of the fork. You can continue to live for the world and deny who Christ really is. Now during Malachi's time, I mean, they, they were kind of, the Jews were kind of in a similar situation. Because the Jews, I mean, all of them claimed a faith in the God of Abraham. And most of them went through the motions of following, you know, the, 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 the law. They, they brought some sacrifices. They went to the festivals and things like that. But God knew their hearts. And what, what God proclaimed then about choosing which way to go is still true today. God is calling those who are apostate, that's maybe not a word you, you hear too often, I might need to use it more. Uh, to be apostate means you profess a faith, but you really have turned from the true faith, if you claim a faith at all. And he's calling the, all those folks to repent. But those who are faithful, who truly have trusted in Christ, he calls to courage. Continue on that right road. And so, today I guess we could say that we're here. We've come to a fork in the road. And I call you to choose you this day. Which road are you going to take? The false Christianity of the world that is all about self or the true Christianity of the true Jesus from Scripture that calls for self-denial. Which road in the fork are you going to choose? So I want to read from Malachi 3.13 through the end of the book. It's not that long, not as long as it might sound. To see what God said through Malachi about this choice and this fork in the road. And so if you'll stand in reverence to the reading of God's holy word, as I read Malachi 3.13 through verse 6 of chapter 4. 
And the word says this, you have criticized me sharply, says the Lord, but you ask, how have we criticized you? You have said it's useless to serve God. How, how have we been helped by keeping his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord of heaven's armies? So now we consider the arrogant to be blessed. Indeed, those who practice evil are successful. In fact, those who challenge God escape. Then those who respected the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord took notice. A scroll was prepared before him in which were recorded the names of those who respected the Lord and honored his names. They will belong to me, says the Lord of heaven's armies. In the day when I prepare my own special property, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more, you will see that I make a distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not. For indeed, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant evildoers will be chaff. The coming day will burn them up, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I will not leave even a root or a branch. But for you who respect my name, the sun of vindication will rise with healing wings, and you will skip about like calves released from the stall. You will trample on the wicked, for they will be like ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Remember the law of my servant Moses, to whom at Horeb I gave rules and regulations for all Israel to obey. Look, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord arrives. He will encourage fathers and their children to return to me so that I will not come and strike the earth with judgment. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we thank you that you love us enough to warn us. You love us enough to call us. You love us enough, Lord, to not leave us where we are. And I pray we heed the call that you put toward us. Lord, point us in the right direction in this fork in the road. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Now, the prophet Malachi was writing during a time when Israel had been restored after captivity in Babylon. Now, even though during this time you had some great leaders like Nehemiah and Ezra, and you had prophets there telling, speaking truth, like Haggai and Zechariah, they called these people to turn from the sins of their fathers that caused the captivity to begin with. The majority of the people, even though under the tutelage of Nehemiah, Ezra, Haggai, and Zechariah, they were still indifferent to God. They could not care less. And so God sent them Malachi with one last appeal, writing to them, speaking to them, appealing with them before the Lord would be silent for 400 years until Messiah would come. Now these Jews, they knew what it meant to be a good Jew. They were cultural Jews. They went through the religious motions, and yet they did not really have a heart for God. They were indifferent. They put on a show for their neighbors and friends. Oh, look at me, I'm so religious, look at me. They put on a great show. They did what was expected of them in their culture but their heart was far from God. And it finally came to a point where 
at least within themselves, they thought it might not be worth following God. It might not even be worth putting on the show anymore. So here they are, God brings them to a fork in the road. They can choose to faithfully follow God according to his word, or they could just kind of give up and live for the world. Christianity is at this crossroad. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, then follow Christ. But if you're not going to follow Christ, stop calling yourself a Christian. Just call yourself who you really are. I'm here for the world. I live for the world. And so Christianity is at this crossroad. And what do we find at this fork in the road? What does God tell them at this point? Well, first, I want you to see that God distinguishes between the people. God, God makes a distinction. Just because you name the name of God, or you, in our day and time, you name the name of Christ, he still distinguishes between those who really are and those who aren't. Because he says in, in verse 18, I make a distinction. I make a distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not. Sure, for them in Malachi's day, they all claimed that they were faithful Jews, but God says, I'm making a distinction between the ones who really are, the ones who are following my word, and those who are faking it. There's a distinction between the fake and the real. He wants the fake to become real, and he wants the real to be strong, to have more courage and in the faith that they have. But God is pressing people to make a decision. Because the, the fake can't keep up the charade forever, or charade, however you pronounce it. He, he tells the fake religious folks, yeah, I know what's in your heart. I know what you're saying within yourself. And, 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 and so, you know, it, it says here in verse 13, God, God is speaking for them because he knows what's in their heart. What's in their heart are criticisms toward God. They were complaining about God. And, and you know, it says, in my, my translation I'm using says criticism. Some of your translations might say harsh words, strong words, uh, hard words, or something like that. You got, you're criticizing God. You have some strong, harsh words toward God in your heart. And, and so the people are like, you know, they try and deflect it. What do you mean? How have we criticized you? What are you talking about? We wouldn't do that, would we? How have we criticized you? Okay. In verses 14 and 15, I'll tell you how you've been criticizing me. Here is what is inside your heart. Because God knows the heart. God knows what you really think. Not, what, not what's going on on the outside that can be faked. He knows what you really think. He knows what's really going on inside. This is the inner dialogue of their criticism. They say in their hearts, you know, really, there's no use in worshiping God. There's no use in following God. There's no use in serving God because I don't see the benefit. It's not benefiting me. Instead, you know, what's in it for me? Sound familiar? Inside, they think, you know, inside they're thinking, they're looking around, and they're thinking, you know, those who live for the world, they seem to be getting the most out of life. Unbelievers seem to be very successful. The pagans seem to be happy. They seem to be carefree. 
And since God doesn't seem to be doing anything about it, I mean, practically, it looks like they're escaping from anything from God. And I don't, God's not doing for me what I think God should be doing for me. Maybe that's the direction I should go. They want the world. They want all the benefits, of the fleshly benefits of the world, we could say. Sure, they might want to sprinkle a little God into their life here and there just to keep with the culture, but I'd really rather just live for the world. Well, you're not fooling God, and so you have a choice. And God makes that distinction. I, I know, I, I see your heart. I see if you are truly following Christ or if you did it to please your family or you're doing it to, to please the people around you. It's the cultural acceptable thing to do. That's why, you know, we're very careful, especially when kids come up and say they, they want to make a profession of faith, they want to be baptized. We, I mean, as much as we can, we want to see what's really in their heart. Do they want to be baptized because they saw other kids being baptized? Do they want to be, you know, do they really know what's going on? And so, you know, like with what we saw today with Jacob and Maddie, and you know, we, we as a staff, we question, we ask the questions. Because we don't want them to, th to think, oh, I walked an aisle one day and I got baptized one day. Hey, I'm a Christian. You're a Christian when you trust in Christ with all your heart. That's when you're a Christian. You can walk whatever aisle you want. You can get dunk dunked in whatever bathtub you want. But unless Christ is your all in all, that's what makes the difference. But there's those who say, I, you know, I'll go through the motions of Christ, but I want the world and everything that the world has to offer. And, and you know, you hear you, you, a lot of people say maybe today who claim a Christianity, but I don't seem to be getting anything out of it. Like it's all about them. Oh, it's all about me. Everything, anything and everything is all about me. And so they begin to turn away from the truth when they learn, guess what, it's not about you. It's just not, and so they start turning away from the truth or they twist the truth. When the truth becomes so uncomfortable for them, they begin, they begin to, to twist the truth. We see this in a lot of ways in our culture today. You know, you have those who, who say they're not getting any benefit from Christ, the benefit they think they deserve. Like, Christ is here to serve me other than the other way around. Christ came to save you. And when you realize that, guess what, you're here to serve him. You're a living sacrifice to him. But they, they, don't, they don't think they're getting the benefits from Christ they think they deserve. And so they begin to find excuses to back away from the true faith. And so you probably heard the term deconstruction many times. It, it, it means they're questioning their faith, but they don't really like the answers that they get. Because the answers they get doesn't make them feel good about themselves. And again, it's all about, I wanna feel good about myself. And if Christ doesn't make me feel good about myself, then maybe there's a problem with Christ. That's not where the problem lies. Now, putting tough questions to our faith in Christ is okay. 
We should ask the tough questions. But then when we get the answers, we ought to accept the answers as they're given. The problem is a lot of people don't like the answers. They're not open to the answers because it doesn't make them feel good about themselves. It doesn't stroke their ego. It doesn't give them the warm fuzzies, whatever. But it's the truth. They want to deconstruct the truth and create their own truth. They want to be affirmed in their own ideas and affirmed in their sin. And so they're being untruthful if they say, I'm walking away from the biblical faith because it doesn't give me the answers. Oh, it gives you the answers. It just doesn't give you the answers you want, but it gives you the answers you need. And when you give yourself over to the truth, you'll find out, yeah, it is the truth, and it does give me what I need. But it's just not as self-serving as some people want it to be. So there's one way this kind of happens in our day and age, another way, is demonstrated in modern Christianity in that there are churches or denominations who change God's words, who change the demands of Christ in order to fit their preconceived notions and their current lifestyles. I mean, yeah, the Bible says that Jesus said this, but I'm uncomfortable with that, so I'm going to take that and twist it so it means this then you're not following Christ. You're following something that you made up. I mean, even when God is clear about his moral standards, they kind of snake their way around so that it, it gets in line with the, the world and what they want. You know, it's more in line with the world than it is with God. It's more in line with the world than it is with Christ. It's more in line of feeding the flesh than it is living holy for God, and, and that's what they want. So, Churches will celebrate sin because they don't want the truth. Denominations will welcome in sin because they don't want the truth. If you don't want the truth of Christ, then don't call yourself a Christian. Call yourself something else. You know, there was this video going around about you know how we have confessions of the faith like, like uh, you know, the Apostles' Creed or something like that, that that gives us the basics of what we believe. Well, there, there was this church with this pastor, and they recited a creed that was all about sparkles and, I don't know, puppy dogs and, and butterflies and things like that but they call themselves a Christian church. No, they, 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 they celebrated sin within this creed or confession. They, they loved sin and they, they held on to sin. Okay, if you're not gonna follow Christ, don't call yourself Christian anymore. How about you just call yourself the sparkle people or something like that. I'm not very good with coming up with names, but look, if you're not going to follow Christ as he has revealed himself, don't call yourself Christian. Call, call yourself the sparkles, I don't, I, I don't care. But here's the thing, if you are not following Christ, and that's that fork in the road, because God makes a distinction. He distinguishes between the people. So there's these people who don't want to follow God as he's revealed himself, don't want to follow Christ as he's revealed himself. But God says there is another group, and they're walking on the other road. In verse 16, there are those who respected the Lord and honored his name, 
And God says in verse 17, these are the ones that belong to him. These are the faithful who take God at his word and choose to honor God with a righteous life and through service all the days of their lives. And God knows who has truly believed in him, who's truly followed Christ. But here's that fork between the two people. You can follow the path of the world. You can follow the path of the flesh. You can follow the path of the large gate. You can follow the path of the broad road. That is one of the roads. But Jesus said it leads to destruction. Or you can follow the path of faithfulness with the narrow gate and the difficult road. And Jesus says that's the one that leads to life. That is the truth. And so God distinguishes between these people. They have a choice to make. But I'll tell you what, with the choice, there comes consequences. So secondly today, we see in the passage that God delivers his final verdict about what happens depending on the road you choose. Remember when I was talking about the poem that, you know, that one road leads to another and it, each one leads to a different end. It leads to a different destination. Now, what it says in our passage, for those who choose to continue in false Christianity, fake Christianity, whatever you want to call it, God warns in, in verse 1 of chapter 4, indeed the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant evildoers will be chaff. The coming day will burn them up. It's not even going to leave a root or a branch. So those who decide to follow the world, who turn away from a true faith in Jesus Christ, there is nothing but judgment that leads to God's wrath. If you choose fake Christianity that reflects the values of the world, that is the destination. That is the final end. But the other road those who faithfully follow Christ, those who honor his name. He says in verses two and three, the sun of vindication will rise with healing wings or, or healing in its wings. You will skip about like calves released from the stall. You will trample the wicked for they will be like ashes under the soles of your feet. And so these verses are talking about joy, peace, hope, freedom, victory over spiritual enemies. It talks about eternal bliss that is ours in Christ. When we accept Christ as he revealed himself, when we accept the word that he has given. So there's different destinations, there's, there's different ends. In, in verse 16 of chapter 3, it says that for the righteous, the faithful, the ones who have believed and are following, their names are recorded in a special book, a special scroll. Because God knows what's truly inside them. And here, here's what the whole testimony of, of Scripture tells us. The testimony of Scripture tells us that God is writing everyone's lives in a book. Or in a scroll. But we'll say book. Because we don't use scrolls, we use books. God is recording everything in your life in a book you will be judged by what's in that book. But then scripture tells us there's a second book. And what happens with the first book 
depends on what's going on with the second book. Because the second book is called the Lamb's Book of Life. If you have truly believed in Jesus, you have been made new and you're living to honor his name because you've been made new in him. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life and that is a book that lists everybody who belongs to Jesus Christ. And if your name is in that second book, if your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life, when God looks at the other book about everything you've done, you are judged for reward. But if they look in that second book, the Lamb's Book of Life, and your name is not in there, they will take that other book. And you are judged by that book, but it is for eternal punishment. If you're in Christ, you're judged for reward. If you're not in Christ, you are judged for punishment. Revelation gives us a picture of that day. In Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, it says, Then John, the apostles, writing his vision, I saw a large white throne, and the one who was seated on it, the earth and the heaven, fled from his presence, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. Then the books were opened, the books of their lives, and another book was opened, the book of life. So the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to their deeds. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each one was judged according to his deeds. Now it's, ta now it's talking about the ones who are not found in the book of life. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, that person was thrown into the lake of fire. This is the testimony of scripture. This is one of the reasons why there are people deconstructing. They don't like that. How could a loving God send anyone to hell? The better question is, how could a holy God let a sinner into heaven? That's the better question. The answer is because of what Christ has done. All about what Christ is dying for us, rising again. And when we believe in him, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Everyone has broken God's law. The difference is if you've trusted in Jesus to pay the penalty for breaking God's law or not. If you've trusted in Jesus, you're made new, you live to honor him, your name is in the book of life. If you have not trusted in Jesus, no matter what your profession might be, you have not been made new. Your name is not in the book of life. You, you aren't honoring him with your life. You see, the faithful are covered in Christ. Their sins are forgiven of them. Those not covered by Christ, you're, in a sense, standing naked before God and you are judged by the fact that you didn't live up to God's standards. You have broken his law. He is a just God. He has to judge. And the judgment will either fall on you or it will fall on Christ. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you cling to him, guess what? He clings to you and you are his. And you're covered you will not face that type of judgment. But it's weird that 
It's all about God's standard. It's about what God has said. It's about what God has revealed. But those who live, who, if we want to call them worldly churches, using the term loosely, deconstructionists, things like that, it's weird. They think that God ought to meet their standard. Look, I have the standard, and God, you meet my standard. That's not the way it works. That's not what's going to happen on Judgment Day. You know, there's this story about this armed robber named Dennis Lee Curtis. He, got, he was an armed robber. He got arrested in 1992 in South Dakota. And when they arrested him, they took out, you know, they took everything out of his pockets and they found in his wallet what you might want to call his rules for stealing. He had, he had scruples, I guess, about thievery. So they found this sheet of paper that had his rules on it. He said, number one, I will not kill anyone unless I have to. Number two, I will take cash and food stamps, no checks. Number three, I will only rob at night. Number four, I will not wear a mask. Number five, I will not rob mini marts or 7-Elevens. Number six, if I get chased by cops on foot, I'll run and get away. If I'm chased by a vehicle, I will not put the lives of innocent civilians on the line. Number seven, I will only rob seven months out of the year. I don't know what months he skipped, but number eight, I will enjoy robbing from the rich to give to the poor. Okay, uh, uh, okay, that's weird. He had his own ideas. He had his own standards. He had his own morality. But when he was brought before the judge, he was not judged by his standards. He was judged by the higher standards of the law. And likewise, those who stand before God will not be judged by their own standards. The deconstructionist won't be able to stand before God and say, no, I, I don't care what your word said. I don't, here's what my standards are. Judge me according to my standards. And God's like, that's not the way it works. I'm God. I am holy. I am perfect. My standards are eternal. And you will be judged by them. And if you have shunned Jesus Christ as he has revealed himself, I mean, you're on your own. God's final verdict will be settled forever. But if you embrace Christ, if you are in Christ, if you, when you're in Christ, you are declared not guilty based on his sacrificial death. Not because of you, not because of your standards, but because of what Christ did. Everything is about what Christ did. You are declared not guilty based on his death. And so God distinguishes between the people. And there are, is a final verdict for each one, depending on the road that you choose, but because you still have a chance. While you are alive on this earth, if you have gone down the wrong road, if you chose the wrong road, fork in the road, so to speak. Unlike Robert Frost's poem, where the guy decided, well, you know, I'm, I'm never gonna be able to go down the other road. You have a chance to go down the other road. This is the fork we are at right now. And because people, while they're alive, still have this chance, there's one final lesson I, I wanna talk about very quickly. And thirdly, it's that God demands that his word be shared because that's how people are going to know the right road. That's the way people are going to find Christ, that we share his word. As long as you're alive, you can go down the road of Christ. You can choose to go down this other road. 
You may have lived as if you're going down the one road of the world. Your Christianity may have been merely cultural. But today, you have a chance to go down the other road of faithfulness after hearing the word of Christ because the gospel is the power of salvation for all those who believe, for the Jews first and then the Gentiles. The story of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, resurrection, believing on him, that word needs to go out so that people choose the right road. In verse four of chapter four, God points the people back to his word. He reminds them that he gave Moses his word for them to obey. Here's the word, obey it. And then in verse five, he says he's sending Elijah to preach the word and to warn people before the great and terrible day of judgment. Elijah points people back to the word of God. And when he does, it says in verse six, there would be repentance and restoration. So here's the wonderful thing about our God. Our God is so good. He gives people ample warning for them to return to him and his word before they face judgment. He gives them ample warning to change their mind. He gives them ample warning to take this fork in the road, the narrow gate, the difficult road, take this one. He sends out Elijah to declare the word of the Lord to, so that they would repent and be restored through Jesus Christ. He raises up Elijah's to declare the truth and to declare the word so that they take the correct road. You know, I speak about raising up Elijah's and that sounds weird, but earlier in Malachi, it talked about Elijah was going to be the mouthpiece of God preparing people for God to come in the future. So fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus has an interesting exchange with his, with his disciples. In Matthew, it's in Matthew 17, in verses 10 through 13, his disciples asked him, they're trying to figure things out. Okay, why do the experts in the law say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus answered, Elijah does indeed come first and he will restore all things. And I tell you, Elijah has already come. Yet they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wanted. In the same way, the son of man will suffer at their hands. And then it says that the disciples then understood he was talking about John the Baptist. So Jesus says, Elijah is going to come, but also Elijah already came in John the Baptist, meaning he came in the power and persuasion that Elijah had. But it seems to me, Jesus says, well, there's going to be Elijah in the future as well. So could he mean that there are going to be others who, are, who he raises up in the power and ministry of Elijah to prepare the people for his second coming? John the Baptist came as Elijah to prepare people for the first coming. God's going to raise up other Elijahs to prepare people for the second coming, giving people a chance to repent and be restored. And we need to pray that God raises up some Elijahs right now who are going to tell the truth, who are going to speak the whole truth and nothing but the truth. You know, we need to pray that maybe God wants us to be the Elijah. Come in the power and spirit of Elijah, preparing the people for his coming. Who knows? 
But we're at that fork. People, people need to be told, you are at this fork in the road. Okay, you have played the Christian game, but it's no longer to play the game. You either are or you're not. Make your decision. Make your decision now. I'll close with this story. There were several artists who were given the task to illustrate concepts of temptation. And when their paintings were unveiled, some of them depicted man's attempts to achieve fame and fortune at any cost. Others pictured mankind's struggle against the desires of the flesh. But the one that won the prize was different. It portrayed a quiet country lane with trees and flowers and everything. But in the distance, it forked into two different roads, one to the right, one to the left. The road that bared to the left looked as pleasing and promising as the one to the right, except further down the road, it was, it, there were rocks and there was mud and there were holes and it, it led to destruction, whereas the other one did not. The artist conveyed that you can say you have a form of Christianity and you can think that you can hold on to Christianity and yet live for the world, but if your Christianity is based on the flesh and the self and personal fulfillment, it's gonna lead into the pit. While the one who believes in Christ and is faithful to Christ and follows Christ, he follows the road unto eternal life. One remains faithful to Christ, one remains faithful to the word, the other remains faithful to the culture, remains faithful to the world. Are you gonna be faithful to Christ or are you gonna be faithful to the world? And so as long as you are alive, you have a chance that if you've gone down the one road, you can repent and go down the other road. You can change right now, today. If your Christianity was nothing but cultural, you can choose to truly believe in Jesus Christ and be saved. And so I invite you today, if you have had this Christianity without Christ, that's not Christianity from the Bible. You don't know the true Christ. Come forward today during the invitation, commit yourself to the real deal, commit yourself to the Christ of Scripture. Christian, maybe you know someone who has taken the wrong road, you wanna come and pray for them to get on the other road. Come and pray for them. I also invite you to come to the altar and pray that God would raise up Elijah's who will teach and preach the word of God to bring about repentance and restoration for the lost. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry at Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministry is on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.